Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary. This is a Fights and Football Friday. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you so much for downloading and listening today. You can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email the show CouchPotatoDiary at yahoo.com. As I said, it is a Fights and Football Friday. Haven't been on since, uh, haven't done anything on the NFL draft, so... May as well do that today. It's in the name. And then we, as we talked about earlier this week, have a bunch of uh, combat sports related things to get into uh, combat, both simulated and otherwise. So we will get into that as well. Apologies for missing uh, the last couple of days. Your boy had a migraine. And so talking loudly and looking at a screen doesn't really feel great when all of those things are happening. So, um, that is why there was a bit of a pause in production again, but, uh, yeah, we are back now and should be a whole lot of fun. Thank you all so much for downloading and listening today. Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein, and this is We Had No Idea. A podcast about world events that you know about. But might have fallen asleep for during history class. Or social studies, however you learned history in high school. Each week we'll do a deep dive into important topics throughout history. So whether you already know everything or feel like you need to top up on some history, we'll be here for you. Listen to us each week wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! All right, let's start with the NFL draft. Um, this was overall like a pretty good draft. Like there aren't listening to a couple of um, a couple of recap podcasts, and the consensus kind of is that this wasn't like a terrible draft from anyone. And I think it's really interesting, um, quite frankly, how how this all went down, and specifically with Will Levis. He was the big story after day one, and he is. I still think one of the, the big stories coming out of the, the entire thing. And I think he's kind of a victim of what happened a year ago. So if you're unfamiliar, Will Levis was projected to go probably somewhere in the first round. Some people had him as the number one quarterback on their board. Some people definitely didn't. Some people had him as low as five behind a dude who's like basically my age still playing in college. So opinions on him were mixed coming into this draft, but he was still invited to go to the NFL draft, uh, be in the green room, one of the prospects that gets to, to hug everyone and then walk out on the stage, hold up their, their jersey and be like, hey, look at this, I made it. Um, the issue with that becomes when you don't get drafted in the first round, the camera's on you a ton, and then it starts to feel not great, and then ESPN starts to like make up some numbers about how he's 0.8% chance that he was going to be um, around at pick whatever, 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 but... The thing with Will Levis is I, I think a couple of years ago, he would have gone probably pretty early. You know, like he, there was a chance the Raiders might have gone for him. There's a chance, um, who else? Maybe even the Lions. Like the, 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 the Lions one kind of goes against the point that I'm eventually getting to, but just roll with me here. Um, even like a team like the Commanders or the Saints or someone like that. But I think what we saw last year with like multiple franchises, turning things around. The Jets completely turning their fortunes around by absolutely nailing it in the draft. The Seattle Seahawks completely speeding up a rebuild by nailing it in in the draft. The uh, I think the Lions were able to kind of get over the hump with Aiden Hutchinson in, in their draft. Uh, did I say the Giants already? If I didn't, the Giants. Like, you have a number of teams who were able to really speed things up by not reaching for a quarterback and building that strong foundation around them, something that we have been preaching on this show for a while. And so I think 
what happened to um what what happened to Levis this week or last weekend, I guess, is just is just a sign that teams are starting to learn that it's not just to get draft a quarterback in the first round and then figure everything else out. You can figure everything else first, uh, figure everything else out first and then go with the quarterback. And I think that's what you saw here. Like obviously, three quarterbacks go in the first four picks. Um I would argue that Carolina is kind of set up in a way where a, a good quarterback helps them out greatly. That the Texans probably don't have that foundation <laughs> built just yet. Um but I, I do think the Colts do. I think people are kind of sleeping on the talent that the Indianapolis Colts have and how much of their struggles has been incompetent quarterback play the last couple of seasons. So I, I think you have a couple of teams that do have that foundation built. And then you had a general manager who had some pressure on him from the owner. And they make the, the giant splash with um, first drafting C.J. Stroud and then making the trade with Arizona to acquire Will Anderson. And people were really freaking out about that from a Texan standpoint. I don't mind it. And I think that if it had been reversed and Will Anderson was the pick and then they traded up to get C.J. Stroud, it, we are 100% arguing semantics, but I do think people would have felt better about it because you're giving up a lot to, but you're getting a, a franchise quarterback. I think Will Anderson can be like a real staple on this Texans defense. And when you're looking at this draft coming in, it, it is, this was a good draft to round out like depth of an organization, you know, and you, you kind of saw that with a, a few moves um, throughout this draft, right? Like you look at uh, a team like the Seattle Seahawks, they went out and instead of like, okay, let's go improve this area. It's like, let's, Let's strengthen where we're already good with um, Witherspoon and with JSN at wide receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba. There, there are more teams that did that, but that's just the first one that kind of pops to mind. You look at this draft and there weren't a whole lot of like difference makers, but you could argue Will Anderson was certainly one of those blue chip guys. And so the Houston Texans come away from a draft that probably had seven blue chip guys. They come away with two of them. And for a team that just needs talent, I actually don't mind that call. Um, they give up a lot. For sure, they give up a lot. And the kid has to turn out. Absolutely, he does. But this is a move, I think, to go out and get a difference maker. And for a team that has probably uh, none, don't hate that move whatsoever for the Houston Texans. But the big winner of the draft, the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Jalen Carter falls to them. If you are unaware of Jalen Carter's situation, he was involved in a street race that ended up um, killing someone. And then he showed up to, I believe it was his pro day, out of shape and unfocused. And there was a lot of concerns about him. When he is right, he is the clear-cut number one, no questions asked, most talented player in this draft. And could end up being one of the most talented players in the NFL. I think going to a team with the championship pedigree, and I know we're getting into cliches now, but going to a team with uh, an amazing locker room, fantastic leadership, uh, again, strong championship level pedigree, I think that is the perfect spot for him. Quite frankly, if he would come to the Raiders, I'd have concerns. But going to that Eagles team, they are in that spot where they can take that risk on that guy. Also, I... Like, he, it is a, a terrible, terrible tragedy. I don't want to belittle it whatsoever. He's a kid who made a mistake, and it was weighing on his mind for a while. It just so happened that it was in the most important spring of his life. So, I, I am of the belief that he is going to get his head right and be, again, a difference maker for the Philadelphia Eagles. And then, to have 
Uh, Nolan Smith, the linebacker again out of Georgia, falling to, to them at 30, a kid who's a top 10 talent. Like they get a number one and a number 10 at number nine and number 30. It's just crazy how that was able to work. And now a defense that maybe was a touch overrated based off of uh, the strength of schedule from a year ago and lost a couple of pieces might actually be better. And now a team that I think was the clear cut number one team in the NFC gets a little bit better as well. Um, I find Richardson to Indianapolis so interesting. He's definitely going to be starting. Um, maybe not like game one. That'll probably be Gardner Minshew. But at some point this season, he is going to be starting. And this is such a boom bust pick for the Indianapolis Colts. He is an incredible athlete. And I think he does have all of the tools to be that guy to lead this team back to where they want to get to. However, there is 100% a world where this doesn't work at all. The the thing that is concerning to me, and I brought it up a couple of years ago, not everyone's Josh Allen, man. Not everyone is the, the guy who just figured out the, um, his accuracy issues. More often than not, this league kind of sucks at developing quarterbacks. Guys stay good, and that's awesome. Guys get good sometimes, but more often than not, it's... You have to see it in the first couple of years or it's just not there. Josh Allen is the exception, not the rule. We will see if the Colts have that kind of patience with Anthony Richardson. Um, just a couple of quick hitters now. Seattle continues to to shine in the draft. Again, solidifying that secondary with Devon Witherspoon and then creating one of the best receiving trios in the league with um, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba, adding to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Very intrigued by that. Along with everyone, very surprised at what the Atlanta Falcons did, drafting Bijan Robinson, number eight overall. Now, there are two sides of this argument, as there are with most. The one side is you get probably the like second or third most talented player in this draft at eight. That is a win. Also, the Falcons tend to be a little run-heavy, so why not get the best running back in the draft? The counter to that is you had one of the best rushing offenses in the league last year with Tyler Algier and what's left of Cordell Patterson. You probably didn't need to upgrade that. There were other positions that you absolutely needed to, to upgrade and other areas where you absolutely needed to upgrade. So that one, that was the one that didn't necessarily make a ton of sense for me from an Atlanta perspective. I think it would have been interesting to see where he would have gone if, if not um, Atlanta. Because after that, the Eagles, I don't think they're passing on Jalen Carter there. The Bears, I mean, they need offensive line help, but... That would have been an interesting landing spot for him. The Titans would have been in an interesting spot at 11. Um, they go with Peter Skaronski, who is uh, right now a tackle. He might be a guard out of Northwestern. But either way, he's going to help solidify an offensive line. But the Titans are very run heavy as it is. I wonder if they would have wanted to get... Um, I wonder if they would have wanted to get a backup if... Derrick Henry starts to wear down because that's going to happen eventually. So the, the fall of Bijan Robinson would have been really interesting. He is going to do great in Atlanta. Like let, let's not let's not beat around the bush. The issue is not the player. The issue is the situation that the player is going into. The second running back off the board went a whole lot earlier than he should have, uh, as Jameer Gibbs is drafted by the Detroit Lions. And we talk about again kind of solidifying what you have. You look at Seattle, who was able to do that. The Lions, I don't like... Like, it is clear that the outside world views DeAndre Smith, uh, Swift 
a whole lot better than the Lions do. Because you do not make this pick and then trade Swift to the reigning NFC champions for a fourth if you think Swift is even remotely close to being the guy. They've made it clear they don't think he is the guy. But this was just such a reach for a Lions team that feels like they've been hitting home run after home run. This was such, such a reach for a team that really could have got an extra piece or two to put them over the top. Instead, this kind of feels like you're you're just... I don't even think they got better at running back. I think it, it feels like they're taking a slight step back, which is not something you want to be uh, doing at the 12th overall pick. I've been on the Patriots drafting quite a bit. They nailed it with uh, this draft. They get Christian Gonzalez. They move down from 14. So Broderick Jones goes to the, the Steelers, which means the Jets don't get him. An offensive line was certainly an area that they would have liked to improve upon. And then they still get the guy who they would have wanted in Christian Gonzalez at 17. I thought that was a really, really smart move from the New England Patriots. Um, I like Keon White, their second round pick as well. Like it just, it feels like the New England Patriots had a good draft and I've been on them quite a bit about having bad drafts. So I feel like I should probably say that they did all right on this one. One team that just got unlucky, um, the New York Giants, they ended up on the wrong side of the receiver run. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Quinton Johnson, Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison all go directly before them. Now, they could have tried to maybe trade up a little bit um, to, to get there, but... That was just like, they needed a playmaker coming out of this draft, and they they didn't get it. Deontay Banks is going to be great in that secondary, but they need to find a way to get a couple more weapons around Daniel Jones now moving forward. Um, also, just the last one, Kalijah Kansi, I'm sure, is going to be fantastic. Let's not be comparing him to Aaron Donald. That was stupid. Um, that, that seemed absolutely ridiculous. Aaron Donald is, like, at worst, the third best defensive player in the history of the sport. I don't know if I'm putting that on a kid who gets drafted 19. You know, like, if, if you're drafting him one, then we can start making the comparisons to Aaron Donald. But just because he went to the same school and he has kind of the same body type, ah, doesn't mean they're the same guy. Right? Cool. We agree. We're never going to do that again. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Some of the music on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. All right, it is a huge weekend in the world of combat sports. Uh, the first one, we're going to just get this one. I, I don't think this is going to be an overly competitive contest. So we will get this one done quick here. Uh, Canelo Alvarez is back in the ring. It is Cinco de Mayo weekend. So, you know, that means Canelo as he steps into the squared circle once again, this time against John Ryder. Who is John Ryder, you may ask? Well, he is nicknamed the Gorilla, 34 years old out of excuse me, Islington, London, England. Um, he is 32 and five with 18 wins coming by knockout, 13 by decision, and he had one win by disqualification. He has won four bouts in a row over Mike Guy, Joseph Yurko, Daniel Jacobs, and Zach Parker. Uh, the win against Parker at the O2 Arena in England back in November wins him the vacant WBO Interim Super Middleweight Championship 
Uh, they will be unifying those belts along with the WBA Super, WBC, IBF, WBO, and Ring Magazine Super Middleweight Championships against Canelo Alvarez. Uh, the last time that Ryder lost was to Callum Smith back in November of 2019. Going up against Canelo Alvarez, who beat Callum Smith by unanimous decision at the Alamo Dome in 2020. This is not a fight that I envision being particularly competitive. Um, the only thing is, is does this last the full 10 round or 12 rounds? Sorry. Uh, Ryder has been knocked out once in his career. That came all the way back in 2015 against a fellow named Nick Blackwell for the vacant British middleweight championships. A durability, not necessarily a concern, but it is very clear he has never fought anyone on the, the, the level of Canelo Alvarez. And quite frankly, anytime he's fought someone you've heard of, it's been a bit of a challenge for him. Specifically, the last couple of times, split decision win against Daniel Jacobs. Now, to be fair, very difficult to look good against Daniel Jacobs. Um, and then a unanimous decision loss to Callum Smith. Both excellent fighters. Just when we're looking at John Ryder as a boxer in general, those are not losses that you can necessarily hold against him. When you are considering him competing with one of the best fighters the sport has ever seen, I'm going to take you down a notch. And so now John Ryder goes into Guadalajara, Mexico to take on one of the best fighters in the world. I would still suggest the best fighter in the world right now in Canelo Alvarez. The only question again for me is how much does Canelo have left? And does this last the full 12 rounds? I think Canelo still has a lot left. I think he... I think he flew a bit too close to the sun this time a year ago, losing to Dimitri Bivol in light heavyweight. I think that is just a step up that is a touch too far for him. Um, th there are opponents that he can definitely have success at, for sure, like the, the Sergei Kovalev fight. But anyone who's remotely competitive in that division, it's just going to be a, a step up too far for Canelo. But anyone who is remotely close to the same size as Alvarez, I think Canelo gives them a very difficult time. I think Canelo ends up winning this one rather handily. Let's go to UFC 288. We talked about it earlier this week. Henry Cejudo returns to take on Aljamain Sterling. And this is, th this whole week has been a reminder to me that I need to take Henry Cejudo more seriously. He has had this cringy, um, and I'm not the one calling it cringy. I mean, I am calling it cringy, but like, like, that, that, that's been just, like, a part of the character. He has mentioned it before. He has embraced this cringe, and I feel like it has been almost to a detriment to his fighting skills. This is a former Olympic gold medalist, one of the most talented wrestlers we have ever seen, who came into this sport specifically just throwing hands, just so that he doesn't just get the moniker of being just a wrestler. And so I think that this is... This has been a very good week for me to just remind myself that this guy isn't just a shtick. This is a guy who is a former two-division champion who has been one of the, the, the great fighters this sport has seen. He's, taking th he's taken three years off, though, and now he comes back in against Aljamain Sterling, who is very, very good as well. I, I was He's a former Div 3 wrestler, so like the wrestling edge definitely goes to, to Henry Cejudo. I I just feel like with the layoff that Cejudo has had, um, and Aljamain Sterling is really starting to come into his own, that this is this just isn't Henry Cejudo's time anymore. I feel like this is going to be a night that Hen or that that Aljamain Sterling really kind of solidifies his name. But I do want it to be known that 
I, I do need to take more seriously what Henry Cejudo was able to accomplish. Coming off of back-to-back wins against Demetrius Johnson and Joseph Benavidez, he beats Wilson Hayes, he beats Sergio Pettis, and then split decision ends up beating Demetrius Johnson to win the flyweight championship, and then keeps de- um, beats TJ Dillashaw, and those back-to-back wins really saved the flyweight division at a time where the UFC was just completely gutting it. Um, Cejudo with wins over Dominic Cruz, Marlon Moraes, TJ Dillashaw, and Demetrius Johnson, as mentioned before, along with Jussier Formiga, who was one of the OGs in this weight class. It is a, a great resume. The two division championships, um, again, I don't want to take away from, I feel like anything that I say about him is then, yeah, but, like, he does beat Demetrius Johnson. It is an extremely close fight, and then he doesn't get a rematch because the UFC just sends him out of town. He beats a very drawn-out TJ Dillashaw. Marlon Marais, that's a good win. However, afterwards, things have kind of fallen off for Marlon Marais, so really, how good of a win is it? And then, you fight Dominic Cruz, who fights every now and then. So, every win that he has, there's a little bit of a, yeah, but, on it. There is no denying. Olympic gold medalist. Former UFC flyweight champion. Former UFC bantamweight champion. Save the flyweight division. I do not want to take away from any accomplishment this man has had, but every time along the way, there's a bit of a, yeah, but. The thing that would concern me from Sterling's standpoint is Suhudo has kept his mind sharp in this game by training a number of fighters and helping a lot of fighters a lot of fighters improve as well. So that's going to be interesting, uh, an interesting chess match coming up on Saturday. I think Aljamain Sterling gets the unanimous decision win. Uh, in the welterweight division, Bilal Muhammad taking on Gilbert Burns. I feel like this should be a number one contender's bout in the UFC's welterweight division. I think if someone is going to step over Colby, they are going to have to come up with a massive, massive performance and just like a this clip is all over TikTok type of a performance. Gilbert Burns is the one who I think has the best chance of doing that. I think their wrestling cancels each other out a little bit. Um... If it doesn't, I think Burns might have a slight... Ah, no, Muhammad probably has, uh, has the edge in that. But if it's on the feet, I think Burns has a clear advantage in this fight. And so I, I think Gilbert Burns gets the win. I think he ends up stopping Bilal Muhammad in this fight. Uh, the, uh, a couple other ones that are intriguing. Jessica Andrade is back in the women's strawweight division against um, Yan Zhaonan. On You guys know. If you've listened to this show once, you know. Um, I am an incredible fan of Jessica Andrade's talent, so I think that she gets the win here. And the other fight that has my attention is the uh, featured prelim bout as Drew Dober takes on the steamroller, Matt Frivola. Um, Frivola is a really fun fighter in the lightweight division, and the, the steamroller nickname is very warranted as he just constantly comes forward. I think Drew Dober, though, has a few too many tools in the toolbox to, to fall for that, so I think Drew Dober ends up getting the win here. And now we move on to what I think might be the most intriguing of the weekend, and that is WWE Backlash, coming to you from San Juan, Puerto Rico. Um, the, the build for this has been interesting because there's been a draft that has been going on around it, and so it's tough to, to really get, like, super into all of it when there is also that going on, but I think it's kind of an interesting card. Um, Matt Riddle, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn taking on the Bloodline. The The Bloodline story continues to be excellent. Um, I would imagine that the Usos take the pinfall in this one, and that continues the, like, 
everything's fine in the Bullet Club type of a story with the bloodline. Uh, Bad Bunny taking on Damian Priest in a San Juan street fight. The expectations for these particular matches involving celebrities have certainly raised over the last little while. Um, I'm expecting this one to be really, really fun. The singles match for the Raw Women's Championship as Bianca Belair takes on Io Sky. Both of these wrestlers are moving on to SmackDown. I was really hoping that this would be Io Sky's time. I think that she is ready for an absolute monster push. If she gets the win here, would not be surprised. I am predicting, though, that Bianca Belair does get the win. Austin Theory takes on Bobby Lashley and Bronson Reed in a triple threat match. I would guess that they're going to continue the rise of... Um, the, the rise of Austin Theory, I think he gets some kind of a, a chicken shit type of a win in this bout. Seth freaking Rollins takes on Omos in a singles match. I feel like more could have been done with Seth Rollins, but I think he gets a win here to set him up to, to really make a run at the newly minted WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Rhea Ripley is going to beat the ever-loving hell out of Zelina Vega for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And in the main event, Cody Rhodes taking on Brock Lesnar. Uh, the redemption story, part two for Cody, continues, and I think he gets a win over Brock. So all of these things this weekend are a little bit, oh, it's okay, but it's going to be a jam-packed weekend anyway, hoping to get some kind of reaction. Uh, going to be at a buddy's place watching the fight on um, the, the boxing on Saturday night. So we will see how all of that goes, uh, but going to be getting various reactions out hopefully sometime later this weekend. Uh, quickly, let's just jump right into today's ticket. Uh, we need to get back on track after a, a bit of a rocky one the other day. I was feeling confident about that one and it ends up not necessarily uh, working out for us here. We are going to go at Gilbert Burns minus 125, laying a bit of juice, but like that one. Uh, I wanted Drew Dober against Matt Frivola in that one. That's um, the, the odds just aren't in our favor. Minus 213 for Drew Dober. There's just no value. Um, in that one tonight, it is the Edmonton Oilers taking on the Vegas Golden Knights. Let's take the Oilers to just win straight up at minus 120. Uh, that one coming to us from Betway. And is there really nothing on the, the schedule? Oh, that NHL game was, uh, Saturday night, isn't it? There's one game in the NHL tonight, Devils against the Hurricanes. We're going to pass on that one. Um, in the NBA tonight, it is the Celtics taking on the 76ers and the Nuggets taking on the Phoenix Suns. Um... I think that people are just kind of assuming it's back in Phoenix. The, the Suns are going to get a win. The Nuggets have been spectacular in this series. I'm going to take the Nuggets. We're going to go with an underdog play here at plus 155 at bet 365. Liking that one. Um, and then going on to the Saturday ticket. Again, I feel like people are kind of sleeping on what the Knicks are going to be able to do a little bit. They were able to survive and get a win in that um, in, in that second game. I think they're going to build on that. I will take... The Knicks plus three and a half points against the Miami Heat Saturday afternoon. So that is today's ticket. And that is today's show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. As mentioned, hoping to get a few reaction podcasts out for all the combat sports fun that we are going to have this weekend. Uh, and then back to your regularly scheduled programming on Monday. Thank you all so much for listening. Talk to you all later. I'm out.